0: Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 AM. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast it's an essential ingredient the great Martin Luther once said you know I'm so busy now that if I didn't spend three hours each day in prayer I couldn't get through the day I'm so busy that if I didn't spend three hours every day praying I wouldn't be able to make it through the day how many of us were so dedicated to prayer? You know, Luther believed in prayer. He believed in it so much that he spent hours each day praying to the Father, yet prayer is on decline. A recent poll said that only 55% of Bible-believing Christians pray every day. Just over half of Bible-believing Christians pray daily. We have fewer people praying and more people wanting God to move. Let me say that one more time. We have fewer people praying, and yet we have more people wanting God to do something. Isn't that amazing? I'm not really sure that it works that way. Friend, we need to remember that prayer is not a burden to bear. It is a blessing. Prayer connects us to God. Prayer provides the conduit for God to speak to us, to direct us, and to challenge us to be more like Christ. Prayer centers us around the grand purposes of God. It's in prayer that we find our encouragement. It's in prayer that where we can elevate God's glory above all others. If you want to, if you're following along on that order of worship, you'll see the blank there. Fill it in for me. Prayer is not a is prayer, excuse me, is a blessing, not a burden. It's something that we shouldn't have to do. It's something that we should want to do. Prayer. A little bit of background this morning. If you remember the past two weeks, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. Remember, we split that up into a two-part uh, series. We look through Luke chapter 11, verses one through four, and today we're looking at the continuation of that message from Christ. In the following verses, we have both a parable And we also have a practical application, all pointing back to the value of prayer. So in verses 1 through 4 of Luke chapter 11, Jesus gives us the Lord's prayer. Then, starting in verse 5 and going on from there, we've got a parable and a practical application. The first few verses capture an interaction between what Scripture tells us is two friends. One friend, who is sort of annoying the other friend, And this other friend is put off by his annoying behavior. The second part of the passage relates to our relationship with God. God, as our Father, is open. He's available and he wants to hear from us and also desires to help us. Friend, this morning, I want you to know that God desires to help you. He wants to help you. In whatever situation you found yourself in, even if it's a situation that is of your own doing, God desires to help you. So this morning, let's lean in and listen to God's word in Luke chapter 11, verses five through 13. This morning, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you wanna find that, you can. Verse five, and Jesus is speaking, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight And say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And verse 7, and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs." who ask of him? So do me a favor this morning. Fill in these three blanks for me. Letter A, we have excuse me, Roman number one, the parable puts on display letter A: a friend's intrusion. We have an intrusion. Letter B: a friend's frustration. We see that this man knocks on the door, and now we see the frustration of the one who is opening the door. And then letter C, a friend's condemnation. A friend's condemnation. We see guilt play a part in the story. So verses five through eight can be summarized in these three points. So let's look briefly at the parable. First, we're introduced to a man who clearly has no social boundaries. Do you all know people that have no social boundaries? Know these kind of folks? Yes, yeah, some of you are nodding big time. And I, I think you may be referring to your husbands. We'll, we'll find out. This man has no social boundaries. He shows up at his neighbor's house unannounced. It's very late, and his neighbor is asleep. He's asleep not only himself, but his children are asleep, and most likely his spouse is asleep. Lastly, this neighbor brings his problem to your doorstep. Not the best time to come knocking. However, that's what happens. Scripture calls this man knocking on the door. They use this word impudent, And by the way, I had no idea exactly, I wasn't very familiar with this word listed in the English Standard Version. I wasn't very familiar with this word impudent. So I did what any person who doesn't know what a word means, I went to Google and said define impudent. This is what it said. This is Google's definition of this word. An impudent person is bold, sassy, and shameless. Sassy thought that was funny. Sassy and shameless. And then it gives an example of how an impudent person might act. If you want to get into a fancy nightclub and you tell the bouncer, let me in. I am much more beautiful than all these ugly losers in line. That's impudent behavior. Impudent comes from the Latin, from im being without and putins being shame This man knocking on the door is a man without shame. The Greek word being used here, by the way, it means persistent. He is not only knocking on the door without shame, but he won't go away. He won't leave. He just keeps banging away on the door until he gets what he wants. This fella is really, really annoying. Imagine that kind of person showing up to your door, say, around 2 o'clock in the morning. Would you have much patience for that person? Would you treat that person warmly? Would you be kind to that person? I imagine you wouldn't. We are then introduced to another man. We don't know his name, but you can uh, see easily that he is having none of his neighbor. He has his lights off. His doors are locked. He is not open for business. Now comes a knock at the door, and it is his buddy, using air quotes. And you can put yourself in this man's situation. He's frustrated. He's angry. Wanting a loaf of bread is not an emergency. And this guy has now rolled out of his bed, deep sleep, and is now coming to a door to see his annoying Neighbor, And so essentially, this man says, forget it. Get off my doorstep. Leave me alone. If there were cops to be called, he probably would have called them. And yet, his neighbor leaves. His neighbor leaves and, and goes away. And just as, about as the man goes back to sleep, he remembers a familiar passage from the book of the law of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. Listen to the words. It says, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. So as this man begins to go to sleep, he's reminded of his duty as a Jewish man, to be hospitable even to an impudent Man, even to a man without shame, a man who's annoying and will not go away, as he's falling asleep, he remembers the command to be kind, to be hospitable. Guilt sets in. He doesn't want to be a lawbreaker. No matter this man is annoying, even though he's being a bad neighbor, this man wakes, he rises. He goes back to the door, calls his friend, and still gives him what he is asking for. Then Jesus gives us a stark contrast in verse 9. He develops an interesting comparison between these two supposed friends and our relationship with God. It's an interesting comparison between a man receiving a blessing and the being doing or giving the blessing away. Now, just very briefly, what part in the story do you think we play? If there's a character that represents God and a character that represents man, where where do we fit in that story? Are we the man giving the blessing or are we the person standing annoyingly at the door? Which one? Friends, we're the annoying one. We're the one standing at the door we are without shame. And yet God draws an interesting comparison, that of to himself, to this neighbor who eventually gives. Now that is not the way God operates. As you'll see here in just a moment, Jesus gives us some clarification. So we are the ones who receive the blessing and the man doing the blessing is God, although he is a poor example of what God really is and what he really does. I'll show you that in a minute. So let's go to verse nine where the story splits. So you have the parable and now you have the practical application. What is Jesus really trying to teach us in this moment? Let's go back and read it again. Verse nine, he says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this morning, what does this story tell us about God? Well, it tells us that prayer must be done persistently. It must be done persistently. One can never say that they have prayed enough. Friend, you've never prayed enough. This man wouldn't give up until he saw movement. The same should be said with us. When it comes to prayer, we should pray until we see movement. Oftentimes, movement comes in our own life rather than others. How many of you have ever prayed, God, change that person? God, would you re-architect that person's life? God, make this person more agreeable. Make this person better. How many times have you ever prayed that God would change someone else, and in the reverse, God ends up changing you? God often does that. He changes us. God will not always change the circumstances. He changes us in the middle of our circumstances. He does not always fight our battles, but he often outfits us for war. He doesn't always rescue us from the tidal waves of life. Rather, he teaches us how to swim through them. Just like we've learned something from the parable, let's look at what prayer displays the parable displays some things, but the prayer also displays some things. Roman numeral two, right in this blank, the prayer puts on displays God's availability. God's availability. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open. Friends, we all know the scenario. We've all experienced the frustration of needing something last minute jumping into the car and heading to the local store only to find the store locked up, lights off, chairs on tables, and you can't get in to get what you want. You've wasted not only your gas, but you've also wasted your time. And there's nothing more frustrated than that locked door. Nothing more frustrated than a locked door. In my house, the greatest frustration that we have at night is milk. We never seem to have milk when I want to drink it at night. My boys, who are so selfish, drink all the milk. <laughs> and so naturally, I want to have milk. Well, by the time I've discovered that the milk is not there, everything is closed. So God teaches me often lessons in patience. Chick-fil-A is closed today. Can I get a collective, Ah. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. I have never wanted Chick-fil-A more in my life than on a Sunday. (laughs) David's catfish is closed on Monday. I've never wanted David's catfish more than on Monday. It's closed. The neighbor is the opposite of God. He was asleep when his annoying friend came to the door and not God. God never sleeps. God is never dozing. Here is the good news God is always open. He is always available. His lights are never turned off. The Bible talks of God's availability over and over again. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The lost son comes to his senses and he comes back to his father. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, we see the response of the father. He arose goes back to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion on him. He ran to him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. God's arms, friends, are always open, waiting for the weary sinner to return home. God's door is never locked to you. It's always open. Friend, remember that God is always available to you. He wants to hear from you, to have a relationship with you, and he desires intimacy with us. His arms are always open. Friends, I want to remind you that you can't escape the Lord. He's always with you. In Psalm chapter 139, verses 7 through 8, one of my favorite psalms, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are also there. God is everywhere, and you can't lose him. The prayer puts on display God's availability, but it also puts on display God's generosity. In verse 10, for everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Again, it was late. The neighbor was tired and he was in no mood to give. No mood to bless. No mood to give abundantly. Aren't you glad that God is not this way? God longs to give to us and to give to us in an abundant fashion. And I love how Luke captures Jesus' words saying for everyone who asks receives everyone who asks receives of course we have to understand the context of jesus saying this we receive in accordance to god's will god is never going to give what is not in his will to give so therefore our prayers what we ask must match up to what god has already prepared to give to us we receive in accordance to god's will He gives according to what is beneficial for our growth. He gives to what is good for us, our own goodness. And lastly, he gives for his own glory. So again, God is not going to give you something that is bad for you, right? What kind of a father gives away a snake instead of of something good? Or what, what kind of father would give a scorpion instead of an egg? No, God is going to give something good for his glory. Friends, you know God's gifts, by the way, are not always monetary, financial, or even material. God has gifted us in so many ways. God has given us life. He's given us breath. He's given us animation. Beyond our survival, the the Bible says he considers our delight. God takes into account the things that delight us in 1 Timothy 617 it says this. He made the seas and the mountains and the rivers. He made 750,000 species of insects, 400,000 species of flowers, 200,000 species of edible plants, 10,000 species of birds. Animals too numerous to numerous to account. He made stars in the sky for us to enjoy. Every good thing a person, Christian or non-Christian, enjoys in life is a gift from God. That's what it says in James chapter 1, 17. God gave us a unique partnership to live in this creation, male and female. God provided us friendship and communion with, with each other. What amazing gifts. Ponder for this with me for just a moment. What amazing gifts has God given to you? The things that we often take for granted the things that we often never think about. We get so wrapped up in the minutia of our lives that sometimes we forget just how good God has been to us. Oh, friend, God loves you, and he's given you so much more than you could ever dream. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, listen to what uh, Paul tells us, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound for every good work. Isn't that a great thing to know today? That God wants to bless us. Bless us abundantly. Why? Because we're his children. So again, we see God's availability in prayer. We see as we pray that God wants to give generously to us. But in prayer, we often see God's personality. We discover who God really is when we pray. Verses 11 and 12, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a fish instead of a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Go back to the parable. This annoyed neighbor was a father. We discover this in scripture. He tells this pesky man at his front door that if he he keeps on, he's going to end up waking his spouse, he's going to end up waking his children, and this is one angry dad. Yet, God is very different from this earthly dad that we read about in the parable. At God's very core, his everlasting personality is and forever will be a father. The Bible is clear about what our relationship with God is. He is our father. We are his children. In fact, God is identified, get this, God is identified as our father 265 times in scripture. 265 times. Most of us, most of those, by the way, are found in the New Testament through Christ. We have a new identity as an adopted son or an adopted daughter in God's holy family. God is our Father. the word "father conjures up different things, different images for, for some people. For some father is associated with warm memories and laughter. That's my association. Praise God for that. I've had and still have a, a wonderful dad. This is why it's so important for us to stand that understand that God is not only our father but he's a good father. Others of you by the way when I mention the word father you think of abuse, you think of abandonment, you think of absence, you feel you you think of rejection. Some of us have stark comparisons when it comes to the word father. When a good father hears his child calling out to him the night, what does he do? He gets up. He helps. Fathers rush to their children's side, and especially even in the dead of night. It's the same for us. God is not distant during our difficult times. He is close. Scripture says that God is near to the brokenhearted. God doesn't want to show up once the struggle is over and we're out of the valley. God wants to carry us through those dark times. One of my favorite singers here in our church is a gentleman by the name of Ed Pickle. I love Ed. Ed. Oh, I just love Ed so profoundly. And, and one of the songs that Ed sings is a song called Good, Good, Father. Have you ever heard Ed sing Good, Good, Father? The very first time I, I saw Ed, I remember Ed singing that song. He was sitting back here, and, and I was just so taken with his worshipful spirit. And as he sat there and sang in a chair, he didn't get out front where everybody could see him. He just sat back quietly and just sang with that beautiful voice. And I'll never forget watching Ed sing as tears just streamed down his face because you could tell that that song had so gripped him. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know that we're all searching for answers that only you provide, because you know just what we need before we say a word You're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you because that's who I am. Because why? You're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways. Oh, it's love so undeniable I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable I can hardly think as you call me deeper still. You're a good, good father. It's who you are and I'm loved by you, it's who I am. Friend, I pray that the next time you hear those words, you are not reminded about the poor examples of fatherhood here on earth, but rather you are taken to a deeper spiritual place where you know how deeply in love God is with you. God cherishes you as a father cherishes a son or a daughter The last point is very simple. Prayer puts on display God's availability, his generosity, his personality, and lastly, his charity. God is a giver, but he gives amply one thing more than anything else, and that is forgiveness. That is forgiveness. Jesus, in in this piece of scripture, even says, and for those of you who are evil, Those of you who are evil, if you're still capable of doing good things, imagine how good God is who is not evil and the gifts that he will give. Friend, maybe this morning you need to embrace the forgiveness that a father offers a son or a daughter. Let me tell you how you get there. You begin to pray. God is faithful to hear your prayers. That's why prayer is such an important part of what it means to be a believer in Christ. Without prayer, you don't have the access to this loving Father who sent His Son, Christ, to die for me and for you. This loving Father who adopts us into His family, who wants nothing but to restore us, to rejuvenate us, to reanimate our spirit, and to give us a new life in Christ. My friend, I pray that you will not be like the 55% that instead of praying every now and again that you will dedicate yourselves to spending moments in throughout your day speaking to the Lord, praying, asking God to influence you and speak to you, to enliven to his word as you read it. This neighbor who is not good does good anyway to be helpful. How much greater is God? God is... In his very core, his nature is to forgive. And friends, if you have nothing else today, I want you to hear this, that God loves you and longs to forgive you. He's already paved a path to peace to the redemption of Christ's blood. All you have to do is say yes. In Isaiah chapter 1, 18 The prophet says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be as wool. Oh, it's a beautiful transaction. When we give God all of our sin and God gives us all of his redemption. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Lord, we come before you so thankful, overjoyed to be in your house. Lord Jesus, today I pray that you will take this message and that you will use it really to do a couple things. One, to remind us how loving you are and how deeply you care for us and how you long to connect with us. Lord Jesus, I also pray that it would inspire us to engage in daily prayer. That Lord Jesus taught us how to pray last week. And now Jesus teaches us the benefits of prayer, the blessings of prayer. Lord, I pray that this week perhaps we will spend more time in prayer than we would on Facebook. That we would dedicate more of our energy into reading God's word than sending out another tweet. Lord, perhaps there's more of me that needs to be changed than other people. Lord, grow us speak through us and use us to bring peace and mercy to this dying world. And all God's people said, amen. I want to invite Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10:05 our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.